morning. We are jumping back in the Word. If you've been tracking with us, you know we're in 2 Corinthians, so flip on over there. Chapter 4 is where we are. Again, um, churches tonight, we'd love for you to come be part of that. We're in Tempe, Arizona. You can hit us up online and through social media, through email, through um, you know whatever. You can find us in uh, website and let us know you would love to come and we will make sure you find us because we want you to be here. Uh, what we're doing now is unpacking the word. I'm, I'm pulling it out and kind of preaching through it. But tonight's when we'll sit down and really talk and discuss through it a little bit, spend some time in prayer. Uh, in fact, tonight we're doing something special. Love for you to come if you want to. We celebrate the Lord's Supper as, uh, uh, a continuing thing that we do, but we do it as a, what we call an upper room. So it's kind of a, a hybrid Passover thing. It's pretty fun. If you haven't been part of it, love for you to come be part of that. Uh, if you are part of our body, our, our family, then you already know. And so I hope you're looking forward to it. It's going to be a, a good night. Also at five o'clock uh, tonight, we're having a, a meeting for members, part of the family here. If you want to come be part of that, you're welcome to do so. Uh, but anyway, let's move into the word. Cross-shaped life. That's the series we've been working on. First Corinthians chapter two, verse two has been our theme verse where Paul says, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The title of this particular day is seeing light through the cracks, seeing light through the cracks. And, and we'll obviously unpack what that means. But at times it may feel like your life is one moment of suffering after the next. I think I know several people I could affirm that for. I feel like, man, yeah, you're right. I mean, you go from one thing to the next. And Paul would empathize with you as well. But Paul would also tell you that our suffering can be something that brings glory to Jesus, that brings glory to God. It spreads grace to all people because suffering reveals our heart. And if Christ is in our heart, then he'll be clearly seen by a world that's also suffering and looking for hope. So let's go in here. I'm going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to read starting in verse 7. He says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Lord, I love you. I thank you for your word. It is amazing. It is so amazing. I pray today as we get into it and unpack it that your Holy Spirit would help us to see clearly and understand truthfully everything that is there and recognizing that it's your word, not mine uh, or anyone else's, and that we hear you speak and not me or anyone else for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I don't know about you guys. We live in the West, so in the West they're a big deal anyway. But I even remember being in the South as a little boy. One of the things I loved... You get me to a birthday party that much quicker as a boy if you had pinatas. They were amazing. And especially out here in the West, pinatas are a big deal. There's super extravagant ones. They can create some huge, beautiful, elaborate pinatas that are amazing. But the entire purpose of the pinata is what? To, to 
destroy it, to bust it open. What if you busted the pinata open and there was nothing inside? It's beautiful, it's elaborate, it's amazing, but you bust it open, there's, there's nothing in there. Or what if there was worms in there? Or what if there were roaches in there? You're not trying to freak you out, but you know, I don't know what I'm saying. Uh, but when the same kids who beat that pinata to pieces to the point that that pinata explodes open, it pours candy out and blessing, you could say in that way. Huge smiles cover their faces. Joy and laughter starts to fill the whole area of these kids. And no one, no one is trying to reassemble the pinata or put it back together. But everyone is grateful for what was found inside. For us as believers, we're a lot like that. Suffering, struggle, even death. It can be hard to accept. I get that. But I hope you'll see how it's actually our frailty. It's actually our brokenness that enables the world to see Christ more vividly, to find blessing and hope and joy in the gospel. So Paul outlines, or I'm going to outline what Paul says here this way, uh, how to see the light of hope through the cracks in our suffering. He first begins with Jesus is seen in our suffering, and then our suffering, it shows grace to others. And then our perspective softens our, our own suffering. So look, look here where he says, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, he says, But we have this treasure, so hold on to that, in jars of clay to show that the surpassing or the extremely abundant overflowing power belongs to God and not to us. So what's the treasure? Well, that comes from verse 6. We already talked about last week the light of the knowledge that the glory of God is in Christ. It's knowing that Jesus is God. Having the light inside that tells you that Jesus is God. It's that light to us and to others. That is treasure. That is treasure. But here he says it's to show something. He says we are the clay jars here. We're not the light. We're the clay jars. What do you imagine a clay jar looks like? It's not China, that's for sure, but it's breakable. It's simple. It's plain. It's made from dirt. It's easily broken. It may even be chipped or cracked. I don't think of it as being something of perfection, you know. It's inexpensive in and of itself, but it could be potentially priceless depending on what the owner puts in it. Its value comes with what the owner stores within it, right? 1 Corinthians one twenty seven, Paul said, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. It's all his power. It's all him. I love the way MacArthur said it. He said, The messenger's weakness is not fatal to what he does. It is essential. The messenger's weakness, Paul's weakness here, if you want to put it that way, is not fatal to what he's doing. It's essential to what he's doing. Paul says, uses that phrase, surpassing power. He says the surpassing power here to save belongs to God. It belongs to him. He's the light in our clay is what he's saying. And Paul's saying that the clay 
is to make that light seen. So if the light is in the clay, but the clay is to make that light seen, this makes our breakable and fragile state very important. Very important. It shows his glory how. Can't see through clay. Paul may likely have been referring to Gideon here. In fact, I think in a, in a lot of ways he was. In Judges chapter 7, you can go read the story yourself, but God calls Gideon to a young man to, to lead the people of Israel to freedom from oppression, to, to save them. But God begins by reducing Gideon's army from 32 plus thousand people here down to 300. And he specifically says so that they couldn't claim that salvation was something they accomplished on their own. So they would recognize that only God could have done. So he does that first of all. And then Gideon takes those 300 and he surrounds the enemy camp. Again, you can read this in your own time, but he surrounds the enemy camp and they're all carrying torches or lights in jars. Wouldn't have been glass jars, but jars and trumpets. And on cue, they smash the jars in order to reveal the torches or the light and they blast the trumpets and God causes the enemy to become confused and they start to attack and fight and destroy each other themselves. And God's people are delivered. The power was all God's. This little army just revealed the light and blew the trumpet. And Paul says the same thing here. The power to save is all God's. Paul says we are broken and the light of the gospel is revealed from within them. But they must be broken. They have to be. That's the point. Look at first, or sorry, Second Corinthians four verse eight. He says we are afflicted in every way. There's no suffering that we don't face. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Paul uses several contrasting thoughts and paradoxes in this whole section here. Um, I love though that Paul always has a but. It's always a but. He says afflicted but not crushed. Know what afflicted means? Crushed basically means backed in a corner. What he's saying is, you know what? We're attacked, we're persecuted, we're afflicted, but we're never backed in a corner. Perplexed. Not sure how to react. Sometimes we're not sure how to react, but we don't despair. We still have hope at all times. We always have hope. Persecuted by the world, but not forsaken or abandoned by God. Struck down, but not destroyed. Some say struck down here means physical abuse, but not destroyed as in they don't die. I don't think that's the case because he'll come to that in a minute, but he talks about death. I think he's more talking about struck down in death, but not destroyed spiritually. They're not given over to damnation. They are redeemed. So even in death, they are um, victorious. The point, either way, is that yes, they're fragile clay, but God within them is powerful. Second Corinthians 4 verse 10, he goes on, he says, they are there always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death. That, that basically means delivered to the executioner. It's like a legal phrase there. For Jesus sake. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Paul immediately begins to talk about mortal death here. Immediately. So the but nots that he was just doing there don't mean they won't face death. 
doesn't mean that, oh man, it's bad, but we're not going to die. It's bad, but we're not going to, it's not what he's saying. In fact, he begins to talk about death and he says they're always carrying in themselves the death of Jesus. They're always carrying that. What's his point? Well, his point is the persecution of Paul here was because of his association with Christ. Because of his association with Christ. So, therefore, think about it this way. Therefore, in order for anyone to find life in Christ, for anyone to find life in Christ through the preaching of the gospel, then Paul must face suffering and death in Christ for preaching it. In order for him to preach the gospel that brings life, he has to embrace suffering and possible death for the act of preaching it. But the only thing he says being threatened here is dying already. His mortal body is dying already. Twice he says in that section, so that Jesus be manifested in our bodies, in our mortality. So our cracks, even our death, manifest Jesus. What does it mean to manifest something? It means to make something or someone become visible, to be seen. Our suffering displays Christ because only Christ would love even those who are causing the suffering. It aligns us with him. You know what I'm saying? If we were on a literal cross, if people looked at a literal cross and saw us literally there, they would think of Christ Whether mockingly or not, they would think of Christ because that cross is always associated with Jesus, whether they know him or not. And that's the point that the world would look at us and see Christ, that we become a testimony to him, a picture of him. Two thousand years later, he is manifest. He is still alive and seen through those who love him, through us. So Jesus is seen in our suffering. Also, Paul would say, our suffering shows grace to others. Look what he says, verse 12. So, death is at work in us, but life in you. Curious little phrase, but a couple things here. First of all, contrary to those who would say that suffering and death are evidence that you're out of God's will and out of God's blessing, Paul would actually say the opposite. It's complete evidence of his identity in Christ, he's saying. And it's the only source of real power to give life to others. Paul Paul is saying that outright here. A couple of other places, Philippians 2.17, Paul said, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Even if I die in order to see your faith grow, I will accept that sacrifice and rejoice over it. 2 Timothy 2.10, 2, he said, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul's saying here they're suffering and they're dying is giving life to the church. It's giving life to the church. New believers will see Jesus. The church will see Jesus. The church has life growing within it because death is at work in Paul. Physical death, not spiritual death, obviously. It's like missionaries uh, who go into a, a land of extreme persecution and, and are uh, attacked and beaten and even killed. But upon their death, a church begins to grow. And life begins to grow in the gospel because of their death. Tertullian wrote that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. 
It's that idea that Paul perhaps is saying, or Tortillian probably had Paul's idea in mind right there. But if you think that that's unfair, that God would do it that way, if you think that's unjust of God to take that approach, then you haven't looked at the cross. Because he's not asking you to do anything he didn't do. He himself faced that very thing. That is the cross-shaped life. That's it. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 13, going on. Sorry, my nose is itching. I hope I'm not fidgeting and driving you crazy, but (laughs) it's all live, folks. It's all live. You get all of it. Verse 13, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Paul spoke because he believed. That's what he's saying. This is not like believing you'll roll a seven. On the tables in Vegas. That's not what that is. It's not like believing you could be president. This is certainty. This is knowing. Like he said back in verse 6. This is knowing. And because he believes, he speaks. Because he believes, he speaks. And he points to scripture here. He's not the only one. He's in a very long line of others who also had the light inside them. Whose clay was also broken. And who also spoke. Paul is specifically referencing a psalm here and expressing the same faith as the psalmist who wrote it. And he's verse 10 of Psalm 116. The psalmist there wrote, I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. And what the author, what's being said there, the author's suffering. But even when he confesses this suffering and affliction that he's going through, it's from faith in God's goodness and not bitterness. Look at verse 14. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul goes on, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us, talk about God's goodness, also with Jesus, and bring us with you into his presence. This is how Paul can face suffering and death, knowing resurrection, knowing there's a resurrection. God brings, he says, us, you, and Jesus into his presence because all who believe are raised together In Christ. It's Christ's resurrection that we're raised with. To be with him. Our identity is in him. And we are for him. Belonging to him. It's all about him. This is the ultimate glory of the cross for us. Think about this. The cross is such a gift from God to us. Such a blessing to us. It's something that we participate in. And I know many believers that don't even understand this. But you need to read the word. Particularly Romans. We participate In that sacrifice, in that cross, it provides a place for our flesh to be killed. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. The cross is a great gift and a great blessing because it gives a place for our flesh to be crucified. And we need that to happen. So that we can be set free from sin and then we may look forward to being made new and raised with him to freedom from our sinfulness. That's what Paul is looking forward to. It's not death that he's afraid of. It's resurrection that he's excited about. Hopeful for Romans 6 verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. That's the hope Paul has. 
Look at verse 15, 2 Corinthians 4. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. I'm reminded of movies where there's a cave in and somebody's, you know, trapped or some, somebody's, uh, whether they're, they're in a, a tunnel underground somewhere. There's a cave in, they're trapped there. And there's only darkness, complete darkness. Oxygen is running out. But suddenly something happens. I don't know. Maybe there's a, a slight earthquake or there's some kind of shift or something occurs that allows a little bit of light to creep in. Maybe it's their focus actually adjusts and they see a little spot where there's light coming. Might even only be some air blowing through and they notice the air or they feel it and they realize, man, there, there, there's something here. Uh, it must be coming from somewhere outside. There's hope. This tiny little shred of hope. So what do they do? They start tearing at the rocks and they start pulling the rocks and they start with the little ones at first and they start to begin to move those. And then as they loosen those, some of the bigger ones might begin to fall. It causes damage to the wall, but gradually it opens up more and more. So more oxygen is coming in and then light starts to come in. Little beams at first and then before long, bigger beams. But they're constantly raking at the wall and tearing the wall down until maybe the wall even collapses in a heap. But they can see well enough now there's a hole made big enough now where they can see the light and they can crawl through into it into freedom the lost world is in the cave christ is the light we are the wall paul would say our suffering is not just about being faithful for ourselves to learn how to endure it's not about that. Have you ever considered it's about other people? It's about other people, even other believers. Voice of the Martyrs and some of those things, reading the stories of not just ancient martyrs, but mar- modern martyrs, changed my life as a believer. To see what these people would endure for their faith made me realize their faith is real. And though I know I love Jesus, I want that kind of faith. I don't want to die and suffer, but I want that kind of faith. Our suffering is about the spread of the gospel and discipleship. Look what Paul says. It's from Paul, he says, for your sake, to extend to others. See that progression in there? It's, it's from him, he's saying, it's for your sake, and it's to, that it may extend to others and others. Sometimes we forget how that works. You know, Christ, yes, he came to save. Christ, yes, he came to serve. But... We often forget that he came to die. Mark chapter 10 verse 45 says, For Jesus himself said, For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve. We normally stop right there. He goes on and says, And to give his life as a ransom for many. If we're to be like Christ, listen, if we're to be like Christ, we can't leave that last part out and just focus on the first part. Being a servant is not enough if we're trying to be like Christ. Being Christ-like means dying. It means giving our lives for the gospel, for the ransom of many. John twelve twenty four. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. 25 says, Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Luke fourteen twenty seven. 
Jesus said, whoever does not bear his own cross, which means head to your death. That's what happened on a cross. It's the only thing that happened on a cross was death. So whoever does not bear his own death and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, you can twist that any way you feel like it, but you're going to run into a wall. It says plain and clear. So Jesus is seen in our suffering. Our suffering shows grace to others. But then our perspective softens our suffering. So that's all the, that's the struggle. But, but look, how, look how Paul deals with it. Look at verse 16. So we don't lose heart. Wow. I, I, if you're like me, you're like, what do you mean don't lose heart? Like I'm struggling with all this. He says, no, we don't lose heart. And he's responded this way several times. Not the first time he's used that phrase. Though our inner, our outer self, excuse me, is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. We have two selves, he says, just like the jar. The outside, you have the jar and you have the light. Here, you have the outer and the inner. Just like the jar is fragile and wasting away, uh, it's what's in the jar that matters. Same thing here. We have the outer man is very obviously perishing from birth. Even as we grow, we're dying. Everybody knows that. As we get older, you become more fragile. Your memory starts to get a little sloppy. Things don't function like they used to function. You know, you don't rebound so quick when you get hurt. You have random aches all of a sudden. And as the years continue to pass and go on, the outer self becomes this constant reminder that the only hope we have is in the inner self. That's it. And note that he says that he's, it's being renewed. That our inner self is being renewed. It's an act upon us, not an act of us. Day by day, he says. It's just like in chapter 3, verse 18, when he says, Beholding him, we are transformed or being transformed from one degree to another. It's a progressive act of God. It's something God's doing. It's sanctification is the big theological word for it. Paul says here, in this case here, that it's through the death of our body through the suffering of our body, that we are being renewed and transformed. That renewal is creating anticipation. Listen to me. That renewal is creating anticipation, while perishing, he says, is creating separation. See what I'm saying? Let's see what he's saying. The renewal is creating this anticipation for what's coming. And the act of perishing here is creating a separation. One is causing us to let go, and the other is calling us to come home. Think of it that way. Verse 17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Once again, contrasting light with weight, momentary with eternal when our suffering is anything but light, and some of you have been there, I know. It's not always temporary or doesn't feel that way. Maybe you're dealing with somebody, that's, maybe it's you, that's been paralyzed or that's dealing with a slow, lethal battle with cancer or some disease that's guaranteeing a death. How can you possibly be so positive? Paul said, or excuse me, not Paul, uh, uh, Spurgeon said, uh, affliction is not set in contrast with peace or freedom from affliction. Think about that, what he said. He's referring to Paul here in this text. He says, affliction is not set in contrast with peace or freedom from affliction, but with glory. 
So the affliction is being contrasted with glory, not with being free of the affliction. The light affliction, he says, is momentary. The weight of glory is eternal. And then, uh, Spurgeon goes on and says, and then, as if to exhaust all ordinary powers of speech in order to adequately express the contrast between the light affliction and the weight of glory, the apostle says it is an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. There is no comparison, no comparison between the level of suffering now and the level of glory then. No matter how extreme the suffering become here, it is no comparison to the level of glory there and then. Man, that should give you some sense of excitement. He goes on one more verse, verse 18. He says, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Once again, Paul goes back to looking or beholding. Like in chapter 3, verse 18, Paul said, we behold Christ. Here, he says, we look to the unseen, to his kingdom. It's hard for us to look forward to anything, to be honest with you. We expect everything now, right now. We can't even wait on a red light. Sometimes people consider that to be suffering. <laughs> uh, but it's because we live in an instant society. We want it. We're going to have it. Bring it to me. I want it now. But these things that we're talking about here are, are transient things. They're all passing. They're all going away. Spiritually, eternal things, they're not instant they're not instant, but if our focus is there, if our focus is there on those things, then even the cracks in our clay become a blessing. I hope that makes sense, man. There's a great illustration from Scripture, and I'm not going to read it. You can go back and read it in your own time, and I'll close with it, though. In Luke chapter 7, there's a story told of uh, Jesus being in a group of his disciples and a, a prostitute coming in with an alabaster jar, which is just a very expensive jar, and it's filled with perf expensive perfume. And she comes in, you may know the story, comes in and breaks the jar over Jesus' feet and begins to wipe his feet with her hair on her face in the ground, right in front of all of Jesus' disciples. And they pop off. They rebuke her for wasting the perfume, for breaking the expensive jar, uh, for touching him because she's a filthy sinner and he's a obviously well-known rabbi, godly man, you know. They saw, the disciples saw value in the alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. But Jesus saw value in a woman filled with sin who was a jar of clay. Because in Christ's presence, both of them are broken. Both of them are broken. And as believers, I wonder who we identify with more. The woman or the disciples? How we live our life, how we face suffering, We'll answer that question. You feel broken already? I, I don't know. Maybe you're 
uh, never given your life to Christ, but you feel broken all the time. Maybe you feel like suffering follows you everywhere. Maybe you feel hopeless. Maybe you feel like life is a cave-in and everything around you is darkness. I can tell you where the light is. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Jesus said, come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you're wore out with it, if you're wore, I'm not telling you that you'll get out of suffering. I'm telling you if you're wore out with it, if you're sick of the hopelessness of it, I can tell you how it can have purpose. How it can be something that is, is something you're being separated from, filled with joy for a future place, a future kingdom, a future um, time where you're with the Lord. Jesus literally came and faced a literal cross for you and for me. He suffered and he died. There's nothing any, any human has experienced that he didn't suffer through. He suffered through it. He died and he rose from the grave because none of us have a hope of doing that on our own. He defeated that enemy. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? Just stop a minute and I just, do you believe it? Is it just noise to you? Is it just a story? Is it just some stupid thing Christians believe? Or do you find yourself now wondering, could it be true? Could it be true? Ask him to tell you. Ask Jesus to show you. Speak to him. Say it. Say, help my unbelief. Help me understand. Help me see you. Listen to me. All you have to do is recognize that you are hopeless on your own. And that you are someone who needs forgiveness. You need a Savior. That's where you're at. And then tell Him that. Listen, and then let us know. We want to pray with you. We want to jump in the Word with you. We want to help you find people who can help you understand more about who He is. uh, And and do life together with you. Help you uh, walk through even the most hopeless things together. In Christ, we want to do that. So reach out to us and let us know. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for blessing us, Lord, with um, suffering. I, I don't say that lightly. It's even hard to come out of my mouth, but I know your word says that it is a blessing in that it unites us with you. And Lord, I pray that uh, none of us looks forward to that. None of us wants that. But I do pray, God, that if, if we do endure and go through it, that our lives would be... Uh, opened up so that your light shines and that people are drawn to you and find the grace of the gospel. I ask these things in Christ's name for your glory. Amen.